I wish I could take that fucking fist bump back. You piece of shit. I can't believe you've just done that to me. Uh, really, a fan threw me off for a second. I ended up doing some really strange clap, like panicked clap, which was really great. I ended up when I was last year, year before, when I was doing the the stuff with Slayer for their tour. I somehow got roped in to helping out for a bit of extra money, taking the photos of their fan meet and greet stuff. Have I ever told you about this before? No. It must have been in Chile when they're doing their last shows there. They were doing all these fan meet and greets where I presume people can pay more money and that they will come and they'll get to spend some more time with the band and basically get a picture taken and say whatever, give them presents or whatever. This is the band's final tour. So there were loads of people keen to do that. I somehow got roped into taking the photos for it, which was just lots of me saying, everyone ready? Three, two, one, click. Good job, everyone. See Slayer. (laughs) But uh, I, I must have done that must be like 200 people and you really start to hear those words in your mouth can you yeah down. you try you try and spice it up a little facing this <laughs> legendary metal band who are here also hearing you saying this every time and completely right just spicing it up any way i can three two one we, we had one two three in there you know trois de un, but i got pretty <laughs> discerning looks from Kerry king for that so that didn't last very long um that that's about it we did have <laughs> we did have in doing that though uh Tom, the singer of their band, he likes to make people jump a little bit. He likes to play little tricks to keep it interesting for himself. So we'll be doing the photo. It'll be three, two, one. And just as I'm saying one, he'll like suddenly make a loud noise. He'll say, or something and scare one of the guys in the band. So this time, instead of saying cheese or whatever, not that anyone was doing that, that he just quickly went, oh, Slayer, and scared this poor person having a photo with him who got so excited about meeting their heroes, shaking all of their hands, oh, no. being with Slayer and getting a photo of Slayer taken. He panicked. He just went, oh, <laughs> Slayer! And screamed it so loudly. And then everyone who was outside queuing their photo clearly heard this and knew and thought that's what you had to do. So every photo then, there must have been about 50, 60 in a row. It was like three, two, one. And you could see all the band wincing, knowing this person was about to scream the name of their band at them. (laughs) You kind of get what you get when you play that trick and then end up with the punishment. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It was great fun having those photos afterwards and just like flicking through them really quickly because all of the members of the band, like they pick their pose and they stick with it. Yeah. Like Kerry King there, sunglasses on, metal hand up, unflinching. Obviously. It's so funny for like 200 pictures in a row. I told you about my experience meeting Kerry King, didn't I? Uh, remind me. It's not so much a meeting story, it was just oh, a... Yeah, you stalked him! No, hang on, hang on. <laughs> when we were working Download, we had a dressing room literally next door to Slayers, so you couldn't go anywhere without seeing him. And it was just a, like, it blew my mind. Obviously, they were headlining uh, the second stage of Download that day. That's right. Yeah. And uh, as you get out, I could, could you couldn't really see anyone else, but you can literally see Kerry King, and all he did all day 
Like they must have got there at around eleven a.m. They're not playing till about like what time would that be? Like nine p.m., nine thirty for the headline set. Yeah, maybe a little bit later. Who, who knows? Time just disappears in that uh, festivals for me. But um, he sat all day just outside in the sun with his guitar, just shredding, unplugged. And uh, what what really got me is that even though they were literally hours and hours and hours away from performing. Had his Oakley sunglasses glued to his face, obviously, and still had that giant chain that he wears. The chains, yeah. yeah. He's into the chains, man, all day long. But all he did, he go between that and they had like a, a small kind of like um, like a kind of portable gym kind of thing where it had like loads of different uses. So we just go between doing like interviews, press, shredding, and then bench pressing. And I was just like, what is this guy's life? This is unbelievable. Say what you want about the guy, he. He He's commits committed. to his bit yeah. in a major way. What what does he look like without glasses on, Ben? It's kind of like Bono, isn't it? Yeah, well, he's the it's the perfect well, it's almost a perfect crime. Slash has the perfect crime where he can take off the hat and glasses and he just blends in and no one will ever know who he is. I don't know because of his hair. But with someone like Kerry King, when you've committed like Kerry King has and you have these tribal head tattoos and this demon head on the back of your head and <laughs> he's quite recognisable because he commits to his bit so fast and he is constantly wearing a Slayer shirt needless to say he is quite I don't know he's got like he's a very intense person so the first time I met Kerry King was I don't know a couple of years ago uh, so for a bit of clarity I went and filmed a load of stuff around the band's final tour. They did like an 18-month world tour to say goodbye and filmed a load of the shows for it. The first one I did was at Wembley Arena in London and had a great time with one of their managers, Ernie. Really cool dude, really friendly, really like was getting into filmmaking, so he loved spending time with us. And after the show, we were sort of packing down. He's like, ah, come through to the green room. I'll introduce you to the band. We'll we'll have some drinks. And we were all a bit like, ah... I don't know. They probably don't really give a fuck about meeting us, but okay. Anyway, only man just to convince us to. Yeah, you, go you don't turn it down. You got to get that sweet fist bump. Yeah. <laughs> so we go through to their dressing room, and it's kind of I don't know. There's like Kerry King is the only member of the band there. There's loads of like drunk hanger runners there, and uh, anyway, only make pours us all a shot of Jaeger. Obviously, it goes without saying. I'm doing the devil horns with my hands. You can't see. <laughs> And then we all kind of do this shot together reluctantly. Carrie's got this look on his face like, who are these people? We do the shot. There's kind of this awkward second hangs. And then without, he lowers his sunglasses so he can look me in the eyes, reaches over, grabs the two bottles of Jägermeister, and then just turns and leaves the room with them. (laughs) (sighs) To be fair, that's about as much dialogue as I ever got from the guy. So I, I remember having dinner... It was that day at Download where I had six dinners because no one t- no one t- checked my tickets and I wanted to see how far I could push it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I, I think I still have two Download uh, <laughs> dinner tokens here somewhere. Well, I remember having dinner and thinking, Slayer about to leave. They have to go past uh, uh, the dressing room where I've got all my stuff set up to get their bus to the stage. I want to fist bump Kerry King. And that, for some reason, that just became the thing where I was like, I'm determined to fist bump him. But I had no idea how this was going to work or what I was going to say or anything. But I was like, this would be perfect. I could do this and then just never wash my hand again. This is perfect. Which at a festival turns out to be the worst idea. That lasted about 30 minutes. Um, 
I was in our dressing room and I saw they were coming out, so I kind of like timed it well so that I was walking out at the same time. I just kind of like did that like as if it was like an old friend. I was like, oh hey, Kerry. <laughs> but like, had I hadn't thought any further about what I was going to say, so I just gave him the full local band treatment and was just oh, like, oh, have a good set, dude. <laughs> And fist bumped him, and he just looked at me and just kind of grunted, like he was just like, "What?" Oh God, you stole that fist bump from him. But it was just like he was—he was like keen on the—he was just like keen on the fist bump. I think he was doing that kind of shit. Is this someone that I'm supposed to remember? And whereas oh, I'm just amazing. something. And it was the moment I just was just like, "Yeah, have a good, have a good set, dude." And I could tell the moment he was like, oh, "I wish I could take that fucking fist bump back, <laughs> you piece of shit." I can't believe you've just done that to me. Daylight robbery. Yeah. Yeah, that was my experience of meeting a uh, Kerry King. I I'll take that to the grave, mate. Very happy with that moment. He of everyone that I've ever met or been in the presence of, more than anyone, he just radiates like short, angry man energy. Uh, and no, no disrespect to him or his height or anything like that. Like he just he exudes like anger just being near him. And like uh, this same Wembley show, at one point I got in the lift and it was me, one of his assistants, and Kerry. And I was stood there with my camera gear on my shoulder and I'm, I'm facing outwards and I'm so aware that Kerry is behind me. And you know that feeling where, like, someone's watching you? Yeah. I could just feel his eyes, like, burning into the back of my head. And on, genuinely, I was stood there like, he's going to punch me. <laughs> just a straight punch but, to the back of the head. Because I'm stood here and, it yeah, and I was like, but what can I do? Like, I... Probably punch him back, I guess, but also it's his would gig. You, would you punch Kerry King back if he punched you? I think I would. Would yeah, you throw yeah, a coke Just because just, just I don't think many people... <laughs> Kerry, you're firsty, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That'll show him. He'd obviously cool be off. A, a, with a Jaeger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, douse him with Jaeger. This came from your dressing room, mate. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I know what you mean. Like, when I saw him walk in with his kind of, like... I don't want to say entourage, but you know what I mean. <laughs> they're all walking to their little bus. Yeah. And um, he's kind of there with him, but no one wants to walk next to him because he there was just an anger. Just like you could tell that he was going to snap at any point. And like you say, he's either committing to the bit or the guy's just permanently the most difficult person to be around. I had a couple of conversations <laughs> with him over the years. There's a few bits I know about him. And like, I just tried to bring them up probably in the most bait way. Well, I think I <laughs> I know that he collects and catalogues snakes. And I can't even remember what oh, I said. God. Of course he does. We ended up having like this big Thanksgiving dinner together as part of their last tour in, in Vegas. And I ended up getting sat next to him at one point when tables were getting sorted out. And I think I literally just said something like, snakes, eh? <laughs> Uh, and he he humoured me. He was kind. Of, he was perfectly nice about it because I mean it's something he has an interest in. But yeah. he could see through me and his Oakleys that like I did <laughs> not know what I was talking about. Oh god! I imagine him looking at you like the Terminator sees people. It's got that kind of orange Oakley tint across your face. <laughs> Scanning for snake facts. Yeah, this guy knows <laughs> fuck all. Ben Pollard, videographer, threat zero. <laughs> <laughs> Just to round off, I guess, if we're talking about awkward encounters with Slayer, because God knows I've had a few for whatever reason. <laughs> Probably the icing on top of this cake is when we were we were in Vino del Mar, which is in Chile, and which is the hometown of their singer Tom. And we were staying at this hotel way above like luxury I am 
even close to being used to. It was amazing. I had this ridiculous view. I, I didn't even unpack my bag when we got there because I was so convinced someone was going to come in and say, sorry, there's been a mistake. You're a piece of shit. You don't deserve this. <laughs> I kind of treated the whole thing around the band as like, kind of speak when you're spoken to. They don't, um, you know, they're on their final tour. I'm not here to chew their ear off about anything. I think their band is cool. So... I was getting on the lift after breakfast up to my hotel and I could see one of the members, Gary, he's one of the guitarists up ahead, he was getting the lift and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll hang back a bit, I'll just get the next one, I don't want to... He seems like uh, he seems like the good dude in that in that band. Not, not that the yeah, rest yeah. don't, but he seems like the dude that would hang out. Yeah, no, Gary, Gary hangs out for sure and like, yeah, he, he's got a good sense of humour, clearly. But uh, again, I was like, oh, I'll hang back, being stuck in a lift with anyone is awkward enough. But he, he was like, oh, this one's open, coming up. And I was like, oh, okay, that's nice. So we're in there, and we, you know, person I probably had in my mind I wasn't supposed to talk to that much, plus lift scenario. <laughs> anyway, we go up, and he, he presses the button, number 10, for his floor, and he goes, oh, which are you on? I went, oh, 10. And he was like, oh. So then it gets to the top, and the door's oh, open. Oh, God. And that's... then he goes to step the same time I do, and then there's the whole, oh, after you, and her after you and each floor of this massive hotel it's huge there must be a hundred rooms on each floor of this thing <laughs> and we walk out and I was like well see you later and he's like okay yeah catch you later man and then we both turn the same direction okay and then we keep walking down the same <laughs> corridor both of us just like we've ran, we've already said the goodbye neither of us want to do that oh oh this, this is funny thing so both of us just walking in silence side by side and then he finally gets to his room and then kind of gives me the little nod as if to say, all right, see you out there. Let's never do this again. <laughs> then I turn and I'm in the room next to him. Oh, God. <laughs> Fuck sake. Both of us, I am certain, every time we had to leave our room, we're like, I better not run into that fucking guy. Did you have one of those like uh, joint hotel rooms like at the end of uh, <laughs> it, it Could Happen To You, where you could open it up and do Jaeger shots together? Sick reference. <laughs> Love that. No, sa- sadly not, though I do think I heard him shagging the life out of his wife at one point. Oh, good for him. <laughs> good for him, you're right. I can't really think about many other awkward experiences I've had I'll tell you what, I, 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 got a, I got a semi-good one here just from yesterday. Not with anyone famous. This was a... We'll, we'll, we'll dial it back a little bit and go from Slayer to Dentists. <laughs> How do you feel about that? I love that. This is slowly bringing us back round to the usual pace of this show. We will get round to it at one point, but anyway. <laughs> I'm not sure we will. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really... Uh, I'm not jonesing to talk about this film, to be honest yeah. with you, mate. So uh, Well put. My, my, my lunch break of yesterday's uh, day of labour, as we'll call it, uh, yeah. in- involved a dentist appointment. I don't know if I've spoken to you about it. I have a fairly, fairly horrible uh, phobia of the dentist. God, you had a pretty hardcore day yesterday. Then your lunch break from doing all that manual labour was to take a fear to your phobia. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't great, mate. I didn't have a very nice time. But my, my favourite was probably as was we finally understood how to set cement, and then it started pissing it down with rain. <laughs> <laughs> Just work through it, I guess. I'm kind of at the end of like it. Still freaks me out going. But I'm too old to really let them like they they're aware of that they've got it in their notes that I'm like quite fidgety and I'll just talk shit and like I have like a bad like uh, kind of like a bad like gag reflex kind of thing if like um, someone goes too far in my mouth and I'll just freak out right uh, so I get there and they're trying to make small talk and um, obviously I haven't seen them in a while because of COVID and everything so like just wanted to double check here before we before we get started has your gag reflex got any better and I was just like oh well, it depends who's asking thinking it would be like a little funny icebreaker because it's Oof. fucking well awkward. At dead silence. De- dead silence is good. 
Because they hear that five times a day. Yeah, but I didn't think that, and I'm panicking. <laughs> I'm having a fucking anxiety attack, so I'm just making panic jokes at this point. I'm, I'm aware it's not a funny joke, but at least you You tried to I'm, deploy the parachute, and there's nothing in there but pots and pans. I'm, oh, mate, it was just, just horrendous. But yeah, I just thought, you know... I'm paying enough for this dentist that they should at least humour my attempt to try to get out of my own anxiety here. <laughs> they know I'm having a bad time. But instead of that, they just doubled down with the... with the, Literally didn't laugh a few seconds ago by and just went, I'd appreciate if you took this a little more seriously, Daniel. Fuck's sake. <laughs> and then literally just had to sit there in silence for two dentist appointments in a row. <sighs> Did you try the joke on the second appointment? No, no. The, the, sec- the second guy's like, it's really friendly, he won't stop talking kind of guy who's desperate to talk to me about bands that I've been in and I I don't want to talk about that kind of stuff at the best of time with strangers <laughs> let alone when he's prodding my fucking gums you know what I mean so where'd you get the band name from what's your it's li- literally that? mundane stuff like that also tell us what your band name is oh is there anywhere I could see it what kind of stuff do you do then what what are oh, my favorite like what style of music is it it's like you want me to explain to you a 50 year old what style what style of music I'm playing and for you to fucking vein any amount of interest in any of this is it like rock but he's such a nice guy that he does pretend to be interested in this stuff and I just it's I, I really like the guy. He's he's a, he's a really nice guy, but it goes too far. You know what I mean? And I, I'm just there. It's like, but it's one of those things with a dentist that I realised that they ask you a question, but then don't stop fucking around with your mouth so you can't answer it for like three minutes. Right. At, w- at which point you're like, it's been a while now, and if I answer this, it seems like I'm just talking about myself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is like the anxiety that I have for dentists just coming over me and just overthinking the whole thing but that's the way I see it and I just think it's such a selfish conversation that I then realised I actually preferred the silence from the first lady interesting a real learning experience Mate, and then I'll... you got to go from that back to manual labour yeah and back to there uh, came home fed the dog and then went out and laid some more concrete in the rain by which time one of the guys that was helping had left so my mate was there by himself he'd snapped two of the shovels uh, thrown one down the garden in a rage because he didn't know what he was doing and uh, the plank of wood that we were using for shimmying was just in half oh and so- somehow he'd sawed he was trying to saw a bit of wood and he'd sawed like a little bit into his leg and it was just like what the fuck has happened oh, in like boy. the hour and a half that I've been gone how how has this much gone right. wrong right <laughs> <laughs> I'm at a different crossroads with my dentist whereas I had I've had the same dentist my entire life, Doctor Kelly. Like since since I was a kid, there was Doctor denti- Kelly. Such a good doctor name, isn't it? I like that. Yeah, yeah, better than my GP. My I had a GP, Doctor Angela, for a long time. Then she retired. My new GP is called Doctor Poon. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah, she's called Doctor Poon, and I will never make a joke about it. No, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, Dr. Poon will see you now. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, awful. God. But I, I'm in this dentist dilemma where Dr. Kelly's retired now, and it was. And maybe this is just speaking to the kind of fucking loser that I've turned into as I've grown into an adult man. But I had my la- what I knew was going to be my last appointment with him and gave him like a little. Well, listen, man, it's, it's been really nice, you know, getting to, getting to know you over the years. And like, you've always made the dentist experience for me quite relaxing and honesty. You've always been a very calming presence. And I just want to wish you all the best with your life and your retirement, to which you just went, OK. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but 
yeah. Anyway, now I'm in the position where I ne- I've never had a fear of the dentist or anything <laughs> like that because I've always had the same person. But now when I go back for an appointment, it's just going to be some stranger. And as you've alluded to, how do I get to know this person? Because their hands are going to be in my mouth. I can't tell it's them horrible, about me it? and my life and my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations and my cool podcast. Because she's just going to be prodding around in there. A lot of the time you have a dentist for such a long time, you have the one from a child the whole way through. And when you're a child, they kind of get to know you in a way where it's less cringy for you to just talk about it. So, so they know you by the time you're an adult. Getting to know a dentist or a doctor in your 30s, that's not happening. No. Of course not. That's that's pure silent treatment from both ends. None of you want to be there. Because like, how do you start that there? So, who who are you? And I'm like, well, Jesus, like, are we really going to do 30 minutes worth of catching up whilst you're fingering my gums? It's just not going to happen, is it? I've got to face facts. Well, I remember the last time I went for like a proper um, doctor's appointment. Well, probably not the last one, but like a couple back. And um, it was to do with my knee, as per usual because it had fucking collapsed again and I was just like I've been in there at this point four times already and told them about this but I also had this uh, this mole on my back that was growing and I was getting a bit worried about it so I, I kind of booked the appointment went in there and in minutes I was just like look my knee's gone again um, I, I, I feel like I get to the point where I go to the doctors and they just go oh this guy but it's like it's never like a hypochondriac thing if it's any like regular illnesses I just won't fucking bother I'll just stay at home and just smash a curry right cures everything nature's medicine yeah exactly mate um, what else can we discuss rather than talking about this film Ben because I'm I'm not into it I think this is almost going to become uh, sort of a two part special where you get your your waffles starter and then we're going to get right into the meat of the thing for a delicious fish dinner as we welcome everyone back to another thrilling episode of Gone Fish Burning, where myself, Ben Pollard, and my good friend Daniel Fisher watch and discuss a Lawrence Fishburne film every day for 119 days. This is a man we've seen come a long way from his 1972 debut in If You've Got a Dance, You've Got to Pay the Bond, where, of course, he plays Fish, typecast again in a TV movie. But we are now up to date. This is our last episode of Gone Fish Burning. And we've brought ourselves up to the year 2019 with the film Running With the Devil. And now this is a very exciting production for our man Larry here, Dan, as you well know, because we're finally seeing him team up with the legendary Saturn Productions, uh, who yet again are doing a collaboration with Patriot Pictures. Really exciting stuff. The moment I saw that at the beginning of this was the moment I realised I wasn't going to want to talk about this film. <laughs> Let's talk about Larry, because he is bringing some heat to this film. I didn't think when we got into this late in the in the day of, of this project that we'd be watching a project where I watch Lawrence Fishburne having a wank. Right, yeah. Uh, that was probably the highlight of the film somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I don't know what that says about this film or me, but I fucking hated it. Yeah, me too, bro. Me too. This, this is, is uh... just fucking drivel. Uh, none of it really makes any sort of cohesive sense. I, I fucking hate it. Yeah, it wasn't a good time. This film, in true Saturn style, goes for not one, not two, but three gritty cold opens here. Surprise, surprise. There is a naked bathroom floor scene, a nightclub cocaine scene, and a military helicopter scene, all just glued together for seemingly no reason. They come back later on, but massively unsatisfying. Nick Cage is in this introduced with no ceremony whatsoever. I mean, God, this was a 
just a rubbish, boring bit of film. They try and pack so many twists and turns into this thing, but they are all so unsatisfying. It just it never ended. I swear, this just went on forever. It has it has more endings than it does intros. You know what I mean? It just the film felt like it was coming to its natural conclusion about an hour in, and then there's like another forty minutes of just non-stop ending the film in different ways. He said, just when you think it's over, no, no, there's another scene, there's another scene, there's another Return scene. Return of the King style. But every, at least Return of the King is like kind of a, it's summing everything up, you know You've what I mean? You've been on a journey and it feels worth whereas, it. Whereas this one is like every different outro sequence just deconstructs the last one that you watched to the point that it was all fucking wasteful. Yeah. I fucking hate this film, it, honestly. Can you describe uh, to me what happens in this film? Not fucking really, mate. Cage is some sort of drug dealer, as is uh, Lawrence Fishburne. They're sort of two sides of the coin, eh? Yeah. Somewhere along the line, uh, the drugs are going missing and also getting diluted with other product. So the kind of bosses send Cage and Lawrence to go and find out exactly what's going on. So Cage follows the drugs for the whole way from Columbia all the way back to Seattle, realising that it's Lawrence himself that's been tampering with the goods. Who knew? Yeah. Well, we all knew, because it was fucking obvious. This is shit. Yeah, this that is, is so diabolically obvious. shit. So this film plays out in uh, three parts, hence the free open. So you've got the the viewpoint of Cage as he's going through it, the viewpoint of Fishburne as he's trying to get away with it, and the viewpoint of the law trying to catch them all. And it's just... So it all blends together as no one's role makes sense when you have the, the, the law torturing people uh, you have Lawrence Fishburne at one point you don't know if he's the bad guy or the good guy it's just it's just utter shite this is a complete and utter shite none of this makes any sense I didn't think I'd be getting this angry 94 days in about how shit a film is yeah no I'm right there with you I've got to confess these uh, this last week I thought was going to be bliss sailing through with that finish line It's lit- I can see the finish line but man, these have been hard. If you if you've made ninety three films, then you should know by this at this point that what you're making is bad and just quit. But and Cage adds nothing to this. Obviously, this is of course the Larry Fishburne podcast. But I think we'd be remiss to not discuss Nicolas Cage's just lack of anything in this. The closest he gets to well, in fact, I'm not, I'm not even going to say that. I was going to say the closest he gets to being good, but I didn't know how that sentence was going to end. There's that whole Lion King moment they have where fucking Larry Fishford is literally hanging onto Cage's hands at the top of a cliff and says, what's the effect of long live the king and throws him off. (laughs) (laughs) Cage Cage would make a great scar, to be fair. Cage slips for no reason whatsoever there. Actually, yeah, that's pretty true. Cage's scar and Larry Fishford as Mufasa would be fucking lit. Yeah, I think they got this completely wrong in the casting of this. I I honestly think it would have been a lot better. They swap roles. Not that obviously I don't want to see Cage having a wank, but yeah, or that weird coke fueled sex montage, which is like a time lapse of him, Larry Fishbourne, just taking lots of drugs while in the background, another version of himself just has lots of well intercourse, but everyone is fully dressed seemingly with these two. Oh god, that was a scene I was not prepared for. I did not think that the uh, (laughs) that the man himself would be chucking out. Weirdly enough, though, ah. We watched this film on Larry's birthday. Did we? Fancy that. Yeah. I, I'm not wishing him happy birthday after that. No? No. Not at all? Ab- absolutely fucking not. I don't, I'm trying to think of other uh, Fishburne films that I've seen that might kind of redeem what he's done here, but I'm struggling to think of... There's got to be some that I've enjoyed. He's in Apocalypse Now. 
You remember this, Dan, from the early episodes. He was in Rumblefish, of course. That's where we saw Nick Cage. Rumblefish, yeah, he's good in this. that. He's good Cotton in Cotton Club, he appears as probably the coolest man alive on Earth in 1983. Obviously, The Matrix, but I think I told you how I feel about The Matrix. You're convinced we're in it, aren't you? <laughs> Mate, don't get me started on that. Just consider. But look, I think The Matrix 1 is phenomenal, but 2 and 3 degrade it so much that I actually yeah. never want to see it again. Masturbatory. Mystic River, on the other hand, great film that he's in. You'll remember, of course, that he does the voice of Morpheus in The Matrix Online video game. Uh, why would I have watched that? And The Matrix Path of Neo video game. I did play that. Yeah. Is that the one where you can, like, um? there's, like, a hacking bit and you can unlock a multiplayer version of the game by, like, just putting in code? which is fucking ridiculous. Remember. It sounds quite Matrix. He was yeah. the voice of the Silver Surfer. That's yeah, I don't know who that is, mate. Oh, he's from... Uh... Well, don't worry about it, mate. Oh, he was Jack Crawford in the Hannibal TV series. I think this says a lot about the kind of films that me and you watch. <laughs> yeah, he's also in all the John Wick films, which, of course, you'll remember, which is funny because, of course, Keanu Reeves is, and those two are best friends. Do you reckon they're best friends IRL? Wow, it's so strange that we've done over 110 episodes of gone fishbourne in but we still can't remember all these films he's been in it's almost like it didn't happen yeah wow let's be nice to larry great wank great wank i, I felt i really related to that the stand-up ending was uh, probably my favorite part of it standing ovation <laughs> yeah he gave himself the standing ovation <laughs> larry fishburne's character in this i honestly didn't even get his name I thought it was very he was just He's not the, the only character. He's not the only character in this that has goes to a strip club and has a the usual, please, which <laughs> is a ridiculous <laughs> character trait. But his isn't even a strip club. He's going to a peep show, which I find so... It's so weird. Cannot but, think of anything more unusual than doing that. Like, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that those are like kind of... Um, own, but are, they, are they like those two-sided mirrors so only he can see through and no one can see back at him? Presumably, because imagine catching eye contact. Yeah, because you're just essentially in a circle all just... Uh, it's a circle jerk. Yeah, you're just pulling one out just staring at your mates. Jesus. Or just strangers. What's weirder, mates or strangers? Oh. <laughs> just, it's just horrible. Yeah, pretty horrible. Uh, Nick Cage was also in this film. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention a couple of things about him. And I thought we could try to hijack this episode of Fishburne again. And <laughs> we could talk a bit about Nick Cage in this. I've come up with this hot new segment called Be Nice to Nicky. Oh, Got anything for me for that? No. Hmm. I, I enjoyed it when I thought you died. When you fell off a cliff, when you were dropped off a cliff by Larry, I clapped. I was like, <laughs> fucking finally. There was never a doubt in my mind that he was still knocking about. I was I was furious at that twist. <laughs> I'd like to be nice to Nicky and actually, on a similar note to what you were talking about, talk about the ultimate long con that this man has been playing. So I don't know if you know much about the career and the life and times of Nicolas Cage, Dan, but uh, I've been doing a bit of research and this is a man who several times has been on a mission throughout his career to just vanquish all that stand in his way. You'll, of course, remember Crispin Glover's seminal essay. You'll remember the poor stuff that happened with Sean Penn and him losing out on the Oscar, among other people that have been vanquished along the way. Nick Cage 
and Larry have co-starred a couple times in films in the distant at this point past. Of course, they did The Cotton Club and they did another film I mentioned just a moment ago called Rumblefish in which they were in together. But Nick Cage has never taken a shot at Larry. I think he was intimidated. Larry, of course, got into The Matrix, which is a film that Nick Cage auditioned to be in. And I think he was scorned by Larry's success there and probably fearful of his powers, knowing that he had Keanu Reeves on his side through all of this. But Cage goes for the ultimate revenge, once again taking it out on everyone that stood in his way. But he's learned, Nicolas Cage, from being set on fire himself several times and witnessing the ones he loves being burned alive in front of him. He knows that is the ultimate awful way to go. So at the end of this film, on screen for all to see, he literally sets Larry Fishburne on fire. He fish burns him alive, you could say. Oh, for fuck's sake. But... Cage has come a long way, I, I imagine. And I think, although this is the last of his nemeses from across the years that he has been had on his hit list, he feels a bit of guilt about it because this is the closest thing to an adversary he's happened this whole time. Someone that can match his intensity and someone that in this film plays Cage better than Cage does, quite frankly. So he takes mercy and he shoots and kills and puts out the misery of Larry in this. And I thought that was an interesting arc to see for Cage here uh, and a bit of compassion right at the very end from him that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it didn't really make any sense, did it? It had that quite um, cool bit of dialogue where he's like, you have gambled, you have lost, it's over. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Because that sounds cool if it was referencing anything of the film that happened. No, no, absolutely nothing. It just comes out of nowhere and decides he's going to talk like Neo to Lawrence Fishburne. I thought it was uh, quite cool in this. We, we actually... I believe we rax lyrical a little bit about the female cast members of this and that no character has a name, but all of the women in this are just named like woman or female. Oh, well, there's there's agent in charge. Oh, yeah, and then AIC. you've got the woman, the cook's yes. wife. Uh, you may remember such classics as large woman, <laughs> exotic dancer. For fuck's sake. And oh, working girl one and two, and and the best one, which was oh no, there's ex-wife as well. Forgot oh. about that. Uh, woman on bus was probably uh, the best one. Iconic. So it filled me with great joy to finally see the women of Cage's past getting even with him, where basically the only woman with dialogue in this whole film shoots and kills him dead at the end. It. That's the one thing I liked about this is watching Cage die twice. Yeah, exactly. But listen, he cheated death the first time, so did he a second time? Let's find out as we quickly move into cage match. 5-0, calling it now. I reckon you could be right there. Strength. He survives a life-threatening fall. He doesn't dish any strength out, though. And yeah, he just survives it just thing. to die anyway. Rubbish. He's pretty uh, silver-tongued. There's a guy in this that looks exactly like Eli Roth, who gets really unceremoniously killed for sort of no reason by Nick Cage. And just before that happens, he's sort of bitching about that he can't find his chewing gum. So Cage says, all right, Wrigley, we'll pull over. But that's about the closest to any memorable dialogue Nick Cage gives throughout this. That's it's a just, just solid 1-0 to our man yeah, Red. Easy. And I'd say it goes as far as 2-0 to when you see that Nick Cage falls off a cliff. He does to, to begin with. for he no reason. He literally walks to the edge of a cliff and then just... just falls off it for by himself for no reason yeah. at all he stops moving and then falls almost as if they went we need this to happen but we can't think of a way we'll just do it and hope no one notices I don't know why Lawrence didn't just push him then that would have made so much more fucking sense I don't know why the two of them are fucking hiking in camouflage to Canada 
did I blink and miss something there? I mean, I get why in the story, but they there was a tracking that. device on the car, right? Of course. So I think they then had, they had to go off road to get the drugs. Well, that's two nil, but that does bring us fairly seamlessly into the conversation of appearance in this because credit where it's due the cook as played by Nick Cage is dishing up some pretty oh he's got those glasses back hasn't he yeah at one point he's wearing glasses and goggles I mean yeah that's all well and good he dresses as a chef he is dressed as a camouflage contraceptive at one point <laughs> he has a little wilderness shave this is a man that cares about how he, he looks he does have the wilderness shave uh, he's got the kind of tennis racket shoes you know, to, to, to get his way through the snow. There's a I lot of stuff that he does strong. do very well in this, but what he doesn't do is forge an axe as his own accessory whilst wearing aviators and then end up completely covered in blood. Yeah, I know. So he, he put up a good fight, but it's unfortunately just not enough. It's let's really talk a bit about... Likeability. Let's, let's go in on that. Likeability. Because he is a bumbling idiot. This yeah. is the first time we've seen Cage in a while introduced on screen just apologising and looking like the weakling. Usually he has this kind of like hero's introduction and they really amp up to the fact, oh, here comes Nick Cage, you know him, you love him. But this, it's just humiliating. Like, it really made me squirm that this is a man we've looked up to in the past. I would go as far to call this not even acting. It's fucking nonsense. I Everything about his character, there was nothing of it. I wouldn't go on a night of him. I wouldn't cross the street to see him. If he spoke to me, I'd punch him. Square on the nose. Yeah, absolutely fuck this guy. Uh, 4-0. 4-0, and needless to say, there is negative Cage in this. The closest we get is the actor Nick Cage using his Saturn Productions influence to have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five nightclub scenes in this film. Unbelievable, because they've worked out so well for him before. And as you can imagine, when Saturn Productions gets involved, how well do you reckon this did? Oh, God, I hadn't even thought about this. I don't think, unfortunately... We're coming off off the back of a, a couple of films that have actually danced with the idea of breaking a million, both Mandy and Colorado Space did. Well, obviously not even that, actually. We've, we've had, since Mandy was the first one to get back on track, we've had Teen Titans Go, I think, cracked it, Spider-Man cracked it, Colorado Space just cracked it, and now we've got uh, Running With The Devil. We're on a good roll. Saturn can see the money. Saturn can smell the money. How much money are we about to not make? A, not, not a lot. I don't think, you don't think we've broken a million on this, this one? Went well, I mean, this film came out in 2019, and I watched this handily, readily on Netflix. Not that I think that is a bad trajectory for films to take, but I don't think this was... This was made just to become stream service fodder, I'm pretty sure. I think it was half made by Netflix. I think they funded a lot of it. Interesting. Which, um, yeah, I mean, I... they've got money to burn, so fair fucks to them, because this came back at 111,000. Fucking oh. diabolical. This film fucking blows so Triple much. Ones. Don't Christ. ever watch it. It's just not worth it. Um, what we are going to see is Red Miller from Mandy moving on to take on uh, Arana, I believe his name is. Could be wrong on that. From the film Kill Chain. So, a uh, bit of disclosure here. I've been getting into the habit of waking up a little earlier and just digesting these films sort of bleary-eyed about 8 o'clock in the morning to get it done and try to fill, fill up my day. So we've been recording this episode that you're listening to right now over 24 hours ago since I watched the film and even this morning I watched maybe 30 minutes of Kill Chain. And oh, you've already started it. I, okay. I've, I've bitten off a little bite and uh, oh, Dan, we're not going to have a good time with this one. From the poster, this looks like budget John Wick. I... This is yeah. This is more like Ron Prick, in my opinion. This is not. <laughs> this is not going well so far. There's been very fleeting Cage at the start of this. I feel like he's going to come into the second and probably the climax of the film. But 
Oh, yeah, I'm not holding my hope high for this. It's such a shame that we are we're in, dragging we're into our the feet. final three, and this is what yeah. we're being treated with. Dragging our feet to the finish line. It's such a shame, really. But but it's only an hour and a half. I'm into it. Why not? Why not, eh? So on that note, let's end another riveting edition of Gone Fishburning. This is the last Lawrence Fishburne film we see for a while, so of course you can look forward to hearing from Dan and I whenever this guy pops up on screen again. Yeah, we'll be back for uh, another riveting episode of Fish Out of Water. (laughs) Brothers Keeper is, of course, the next Fishburne production he's got. Larry also has The Ice Road, The Blacksmith, Rendlesham and Crimson Blues in post-production all at the moment with the film scheduling, of course, being blown out of the water due to a pandemic. But it's going to take more than that to stop him and it's going to take more than that to stop us. Daniel, thanks for your time, mate. Pleasure as always. No. Nick. No. Get absolutely fucked. Yeah, I'm not happy about this. And like we say on the show every day, it's going to take more than a fish out of water for me to come up with an intro on the spot. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>